We took a little bit of a hiatus, but we are back to wrap up Season 7 with Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. We're crazy to think that we're already into the second half of the season, but again, this is a shortened season, so we're kind of used to it. And all I'm going to say for this one is, oh boy, this is where the problems start to rear their ugly heads. Pat, what have you got to say before we get started? Hey, listen, Dom, I think you and the Talking TV family that's talking through runs with us here tonight can agree that this is really should have been called Baelish Watch because... Oh, man, he's creepily sitting in that corner watching Arya uh, find messages in his room. Uh, they got some weird cat and mouse game going on, and that's just the, the you know, just the beginning of the tip, cherry so. on top of the ice cream. Yeah, like it's it's a really weird scenario here where they're like, oh, Littlefinger is just in full-on stalker mode now. All of that and more on today's episode of Talking Thrones. All right, people, even though in the listening Spotify world that it will seem as if no time has passed at all because these episode, this episode will only have been released a week after the previous week's episode. But just to clue you guys in, we are back after a little bit of a week hiatus. We didn't record any episodes last week. Myself and Pat are back. We're ready to break down the final 10 episodes or nine episodes, I should say, for you guys of Talking Thrones. We're kicking it off with Season 7, Episode 5, Eastwatch. Pat, this is... Oh, my, my feelings on this on this last stretch for season seven is so conflicted because on the one hand, there's still a lot happening. They're in the middle slash climax mode. They're getting ready to go towards the end of the season and set up for inevitably, you know, some of the final conflicts that we're finally going to hit in the last couple of seasons. So there's naturally there's a lot of stuff that needs to be happening every single minute in these episodes. These are when the episodes started to get a little bit longer. I believe that every episode from here on out is over an hour long. And, but there again, there's pulse pounding, crazy stuff happening every five minutes. So it makes up, it definitely makes use of the time well. But I feel like the thing that the internet criticized this season for specifically that I was kind of in favor of when we first started the season, I feel like we're starting to like kind of crash into a wall a little bit because I feel like what happened was is that Benioff and Weiss, by nature of them trying to obey the laws of the season that they'd set up where this was clearly going to be a much more fast-paced and much more dire season, I feel like they kind of ran themselves a little bit to a corner here where it's like, okay, we had all this stuff that we set up, but now we've only got this certain amount of episodes that we have to wrap it up. And so naturally, we're going to have to start leapfrogging through some loopholes in order to make things happen the way they should. And while it doesn't all fail like this is definitely where i feel like the problems and the plot holes that were criticized really start to show at least for this season i don't know what's your thoughts on that hey dumb i'm not seeing it yet like uh so far so good I, i've enjoyed every episode of the season um you know in this particular episode it's uh what's not to like you know it's yeah uh, essentially setting up for the whole meeting of the minds like we gotta show cersei the zombies and then there's no way she can deny us um, you know, so it's it's setting up that sort of storyline. Uh, everything is about, you know, this sort of uh, Hail Mary plan that uh, John has cooked up and, and gotten Daenerys to sign off on. So, um, yeah, I, I think things are, are still moving forward and progressing. And, um, you know, maybe maybe when we see next week's episode or the week after, uh, I'll have a different of a, a difference of opinion. But. Uh, you know, so far, I, I think the story is is at a, a good pace. Well, 
that, that's kind of, again, what I also wanted to pick your brain on as well is kind of what the ultimate kind of, uh, what, what, what let's call it the, the major climax, at least for the for the book, for the main story, let's call it, right? The war, obviously, the three way war between Daenerys, John, Cersei, everything's kind of built up with Tyrion kind of bringing all the parties together. What that kind of, kind of rests on, which is ultimately the mission to go north of the wall and retrieve a solo White Walker soldier to bring back to Cersei. Obviously, again, the execution of the plan, we'll get into that once we hit next week's episode because that's a whole discussion in and of itself. But I don't know. It's one of those things where it's like, in conception, it's like, was this really the only thing they could have done here? Like, and it's so confusing because I don't think I've ever seen a plot device like this happen before where it's like, okay, there's kind of literally no other way logistically to make this happen. Like, there is no other way to make Cersei believe in the army of the dead other than showing her a soldier. But at the same time, it's like... Like, was it necessary, ultimately, you know? Because the what, what's ultimately... Because I, I guess where I'm coming from is that in order for Daenerys to ultimately side with Jon and understand that the war with the dead needs to come before the war with Cersei, she needs to see the army of the dead, right? That's all fine and good. She still ends up seeing them when she goes to rescue them in the next episode. So... And she, it's already become clear that she's already starting to side with John. It was established in this episode. I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but bear with me here. And what's established in this episode is that she, her hesitancy to help John does not come from the fact that she does not believe or is not willing to believe in the Army of the Dead, but from the fact that she doesn't want to give up Dragonstone as a logistical, let's call it, um, what's it called? As, oh my God, I keep freaking forgetting the words. Um, she doesn't want to give Dragonstone up as an advantage for Cersei, which I'm like, okay, but here's the thing. If she ends up seeing the Army of the Dead and she operates from Winterfell with Jon, why does she need Dragonstone to begin with other than, like, the emotional attack? You see what I'm getting at here as far as it's like the problem, yes, is in the execution, but the problem it, – it, there was also, like, a big problem in its incept, in its conception to begin with, you know? Yeah, well, you know, talking about Daenerys and, and that being some sort of – you know, strategic point for the war. Uh, the only thing that's there at Dragonstone is the dragon glass. So, right. You know, and that doesn't really factor into the, the conversations here, the dialogue. Uh, it, it seems like the dragon glass has already kind of been mined. Right, and, exactly. By the time you know, Davos and them get back to the back to Dragonstone after this, they they already clearly showed that they've mined enough dragon glass to and have been ferrying yeah, yeah, up the Winterfell in order to support them. So they they drop it from the storyline until obviously they're making the weapons uh, later right. on. So uh, for the most part, you know, there is no real value to having Dragonstone other than. Uh, the position to King's Landing, which might allow for some sort of major attack. Right. Um, but the the fact is, like, you know, Daenerys doesn't really need to take King's Landing right away. Um, you know, she can go to Winterfell. She can basically set up camp in the north, uh, you know, establish her, you know, reestablish her alliances. Like, she already kind of lost Dorne. She lost Highgarden. Uh, she could probably figure out a way to weaken Cersei's hold on other areas of the the Seven Kingdoms, um, and really wait it out. You know, and and you know she has the advantage, right? You know, uh, they can't really take on the Dothraki. They can't really fight the dragons. Um, you know, so time is a little bit on her side. Um, in terms of like, I don't think Daenerys really needs to to see the army of the dead, like. Uh, having a confirmation, you know, is going to 
to you know maybe prolong her decision to to back John, but uh, she definitely is in his corner uh, based on uh, you know Tyrion and Davos and and just the way that they um, you know sort of present themselves. Um, you know, I the one major thing here is is this plan of like let's show Cersei the army of the dead, right? Um, you know, it, it's like you got to think like okay, well, yeah, she should see because there is that small, tiny chance that she'll, you know, put her personal ambitions aside and, you know, work for the greater good. But knowing Cersei, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't think uh, any of them should really expect that to be a high right. probability. Especially like, especially given what we know of, which is that the minute that she sees them, she just once again backstabs them, where she offers to send the Lannister armies north and then just immediately decides not to, you know, out of nowhere. Yeah, I mean, well, we, we know where the storyline goes, but, like, even before that, you know, before she sort of betrays them, it, 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 you know, she is pretty obvious, you know, the big bad, right? So right. From, from a viewer's... She's been pretty well established by this point as the new big bad. Yeah, from a, a viewer standpoint, you know, you had Joffrey and then you had Ramsey sort of doing stuff that was like, you know, uh, exponentially more evil. And now you have Cersei who, who basically, you know, uh, did domestic terrorism against her own people uh, to get rid of, you know, uh, um, basically Marjorie and... And what's his face? You know, the, the high, <laughs> the high sparrow. Uh, yeah, the sparrow. Um, so, you know, essentially what has happened is, you know, sh she's willing to go through any length, you know, uh, to torment her, you know, enemies. So the audience has no real leg to, to stand on that she's going to change her mind. Um, so, you know, it's almost like a fool's errand. Like they're going to go across you know beyond the wall they're going to get this zombie they're going to bring it to cersei and I, I feel like from an audience perspective i know that she's going to betray them right exactly um, so there, based there, off what we know of them I'll exactly talk. there's not much tension you know uh in this particular sequence um you know it might have been good if they tied it to um you know a little more like oh hey we'll bring this to cersei's court um, and if Cersei doesn't react, you know, the people that are in the court, you know, her closest allies, you know, th that might fracture her power because right. they might be afraid of the zombies. Right. Um, so, like, you know, if there was a little more like, um, you know, thought about like how it's going to impact uh, her followers and her, you know, backers, uh, I think that might have made a little more sense story wise to, to present it that way. Yeah, 100%. And the one thing that I'll say, too, and how this kind of ties into the opening sequence of this episode as well, which I think is really, really well done, is it, it kind of works, you're right, in that sense of managing to kind of fracture her powers as far as Jamie, Jamie going. Because while Cersei is continuing to just sit on her throne, because here's the thing that's established that kind of is the summation of all the points that we've brought up right now, is Daenerys has got all the time in the world because she showed Cersei that despite all the kind of one-ups that Cersei got, taking down her allies one by one. Daenerys still has the ace in the hole, which is the dragons, ultimately, and the Dothraki in this case, because as she showed, she didn't even need the Unsullied. Just with the Dothraki and one dragon, she was able to take out Jaime's entire force. So that's that. That's where Daenerys is kind of sitting. Cersei, on the one hand, right, and the, the, the problem ultimately with the, with the Fool's Aaron, as we call it, is the fact that it's kind of tensionless because it's only there to continue to set up for 
Daenerys' ultimate twist as far as just letting loose, you know? So that so that's the one thing. But how this kind of ties in with Jamie is the fact that Jamie, because unlike Cersei, actually was up front on the battle lines and actually saw the damage that the dragons of the Dothraki could do up close and personal. Jamie has even more of a reason than Cersei to want to believe any sort of peace offering, you know, as I think is brilliantly established by this opening scene when Bronn fishes him out of the river. They have another comedic back and forth bantering. But I, I think the thing that stands out is the fact that Jamie finally understands just what they're up against. You know, obviously it's like he had some certain idea, obviously, but he again, he was still just kind of willing to go along with Cersei, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now that he's seen them up close and personal, it's like, Oh, we're really screwed. Like, if she, we realize that, like, we've, we really have just been, like, playing around, dancing around, like, kind of poking the bear as much as we want. But it's like, th this was just a small demonstration as far as what happened when the bear wakes up and just takes a claw out. If she turns the dragons and the Dothraki towards him, she's like, and Bron even says it very eloquently. He's like, you're fucked. There's nothing you can do to take them down, you know? And I think, um, and so that's really well established right there. And the other thing, too, that comes with this opening scene is kind of, and this is one where I'm like, it's so weird because I don't, I understand what the sequence is trying to do, but it's another one of those things where it's like intention versus what is actually being displayed, which is what they are attempting to set up is Daenerys continuing to go towards the dark side with her ultimately deciding to execute the Tarleys for refusing to bow to her. But as far as being what's demonstrated, all it seems is it's like, yeah, Tyrion is more so just kind of wanting to be sympathetic towards people because for sympathy's sake, you know, when Daenerys, I think very rightfully should be executing them for defying her because that's the only way that she's going to continue to solidify her claim. I personally thought that her actions in this sequence were great where she literally, obviously, you know, there's a dragon right behind them, but she literally tells everyone, it's like, yeah, I'm not here to come to be queen of the ashes. I'm here to be different than Cersei. So I'm going to give you the chance that Cersei never did go home, be with your families, you know, and the Tarleys refused to bow before her. Um, based off of, again, just at this point, pure stubbornness, and they both die as a result of it, you know? So I, I don't know, like, what's your take on this whole sequence? Um, you know, I think number one is when Bronn, you know, pulls Jamie out of the uh, pool. Uh, he's basically says, you know, hey, I'm the only one that can kill you. You can't, <laughs> you know, let yourself get killed. You owe me still. Um, so I, I think there's some good banter back and forth between Bronn and Jamie that, really solidifies why we like these characters and you know it's it's it, it, it they are well written they they are well performed uh anytime that braun is in the show like he he has a scene in which reinforces um what we like about this character um you know the, just the fact that he's that cutthroat that is going to get his money in the end that he's going to get his status uh everything's focused around that and somehow he survives these miraculous, uh, you know, things like, uh, you know, the dragon. Um, you know, in terms of the Tarleys, like, you know, I, I, I definitely, for characters that were introduced pretty late into the show, um, I think they have a great arc. And, you know, it just shows you, like, um, the, the, the stubbornness of the father and, like, the fact that he, um, you know, insisted that his, you know, his son be a man like him. Uh, and that's the reason why he banished Sam in the first place to the Night's Watch. Um, you know, this is the one moment where, like, you know, Senior Tarly here did not want his son to sort of follow in his footsteps. Uh, but Dickon was like, oh, hey, no, it's like, you know, I I'm the same as my father. 
uh, you'll have to burn me too. Um, and you could see the reaction on, on the father's face and, and just be like, you know, no, you <laughs> like, uh, you shouldn't follow my lead in this, in this sample. Uh, but he kind of makes his peace with it and the, the two of them get burned alive. Yeah. It's a great um, scene. I think just, yeah, it, just from, from top to bottom, beginning to add dialogue, extravagance, visual of it's great. I just think the dynamic, uh, of the characters, you know, it, it's, it's like, um, they're not backing down. They are who they are. And, you know, Daenerys is not backing down either. There's a certain stubbornness that she has. Uh, and it's a recipe for disaster that these two forces are against each other in this moment. And Daenerys obviously is going to win. She, she has the dragon, she has them prisoner. Um, you know, it's not going to end well for them. Uh, but the fact is they're not going to back down They're They're basically to the very end, uh, you know, willing to, uh, fight her. Um, and so, you know, Hey, you know, the Tarleys could have had Dickon go home and he could have, you know, ruled his house, but instead, uh, Sam is the only real, yeah, Sam is the only it. male Tarly heir left, and it kind of becomes a little bit confusing. When that that, that raises even more questions when he becomes Grand Maester, the, or the new Grand Maester of of in in the finale. But like I said, we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. So we have two Wait, different do, options. Does anything happen to the Tarleys uh, for the rest of the show? No, or is that no, house? Just... It's, it's literally just Sam, and we see that Sam has actually had another kid with Gilly. That's actually you know his kid, not little Sam. And then he's just Grand Maester in the Okay, finale. so they don't That's mention it. his father's like no, property no, and inheritance. Never. They never mention it ever again. Ever, ever, ever again. again. Ever again. Right. This is this is the last we see of anything of the Tarleys, of Horn Hill, of anything. Yeah. I, so, I guess if they ever produce that Jon Snow uh, you know, sequel show. I guess uh, we'll find out then. Yeah, they'll have to spend a couple episodes uh explaining the the real estate market after yeah. uh the throne was hey, decided. We, supposedly that is what Martin is interested in. So we have two different options as far as where we can go because only because the rest of the storylines in this episode between Dragonstone, King's Landing, and then once they eventually reach the wall, they, they do very much coincide and are part of one linear story. So we have two different options here. We can either hit the ancillary storylines that happen in Winterfell and then the Citadel first and then come back to the rest of the King's so the rest of the main storyline, or we can hit the rest of the main storyline now no, and uh, then we'll come down to you know Dom uh we should hit up uh, Winterfell and the Citadel because, uh, you know, those storylines uh, are, you know, pretty straightforward and, and good. Let's get them out of the way, and then we'll hit the, uh, the, the you know, meat of the episode for sure uh, so right afterwards for sure so we'll so we'll kick it off with winterfell real quick like i said just primarily more so setup we don't spend as much time in winterfell as we did last episode but the big thing that's kind of being established here is kind of Arya starting to call sansa on her shit you know she walks in on a meeting the northern lords are kind of saying they're like yeah we called john king in the north but now he's gone you know you're still here fighting for us and defending us you know you should lead us and again it is i i think sansa does crack a pretty funny line later on with little where she's like what is like yeah the, the the northern lords are like weather veins. they sway to whatever direction is the strongest she's like jesus no wonder uh it's like no wonder john didn't want to rule you know but it's it's a really interesting thing here where What's being set up is the fact that um, let's go that Littlefinger realizes that Santa has got one too many allies that could potentially distract from him being able to rule for her. So he needs to start taking them down one at a time. He tried with Bran last episode. That really didn't work. Now he's like possibly sees an opportunity with Arya, especially seeing like the physical prowess that Arya demonstrated last episode. And so he starts obviously, you know, whispering in everyone's ear. You know, you see Arya witnesses the conversation later on with him with the Glovers and oh, sorry, with, with Glover and with um, Royce and uh, 
and and all them. Yeah, but this the biggest... was the only copy, you know, the, the, right. the, the note and all that stuff. It, yes. It's one of those things that the, the storyline with Littlefinger is, um, again, you know, we've talked about it many times where his, his seemingly perfect understanding of the situation and ability to read the room uh, you know, in the first couple seasons was amazing. And yeah. now here he is uh, marching closer to his, uh, you know, uh, his, uh, let's say, uh, finale on, on the series. Right. Um, you know, and essentially he's just kind of losing a step. Like, um, you know, we know as the audience that Arya has this training and she has this ability of manipulation and being able to hide her identity. Um, you know, she was able to pretend to be Walter Frey for uh, a whole episode or not a whole episode, but a whole sequence uh, where she ended up poisoning all the, the males of the phrase. So the fact is like, you know, they're, they're messing with a, a perspective shift here where Arya kind of goes in and finds this note, um, you know, and, and whatever the implication is from, uh, you know, I believe this is the piece of propaganda that Cersei forced Sansa. Right. To sign. So, so the the, the, the note know. in question that is that kind of becomes the subject of speculation that almost becomes again the downfall between Sansa and Arya is the note that Cersei originally had her right to rob way back in season one when Sansa was kind of not privy to a lot of the comings and goings behind the scenes and really was convinced by Cersei that her father was a traitor and was attempting to do well on behalf of her family because because she naively did not know any better, you know? And now this is going to be the catalyst that Littlefinger uses in order to engineer destruction between them knowing and kind of trying to bring up old wounds and old kind of, um, let, let's call it disagreements that, that, that the sisters had. And he's able to kind of prey off this by witnessing Sansa and Arya's confrontation, which is that Arya is kind of, now acting as the one that's calling Sansa on her shit the way that Sansa was with Jon previously, where Arya is now very, I think, not inaccurately critiquing Sansa on the fact that it's like, yeah, we know she's like you. She's like you like the power, you crave it. You know, don't pretend like you don't. You know, it's like I understand that you're trying to operate in, in the best interest of our family. I get that, but she's like, um, and again, this also creates. I'm not saying that Arya is in the right at all either, because her only solution for everyone is just like, yeah, if anybody bad mouths our family, just kill them. And she's like, Sansa's like, yeah, we, we still need these guys, you know, regardless of, of because again, we're still not sure whether Sansa entirely believes in the army of the dead. But she's like, well, look, whatever happens, we still need these men. We still need these soldiers. You know, winter is here, so we 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 need these allies. And if we kill every person that bad mouths anyone, you know, we we we're gonna lose allies. So it's another one of those things where the little finger of it all is kind of the problem here, but the Sansa. Aria dynamic kind of what's coming from it I actually am surprisingly not hating it as much as I thought because I guess what I thought was something that I viewed as pretty petty in the past was now I'm like no this is actually like a pretty good demonstration of their respective kind of um different views of like they both have this moral gray area they both kind of for lack of a better word been destroyed by the world but they both have such a different viewpoint where Sansa is much more so the diplomat and wants to play both sides and kind of enjoys the power versus Arya is much more so like again just to kill everyone that that is that is your enemy and is opposed to you you know and they, they both operate from the same means but it's kind of the same way it's like they're diametrically opposed viewpoints and Littlefinger is definitely definitely exploiting that yeah, you know, I, I like the dynamic, like you say, between Sansa and Arya, but I think Littlefinger being in this situation, 
Um, I think the thing that bothers me the most about the storyline is the final reveal where it's like right. uh, they've been playing. And, and, I, and I have a time. thing, ab- and I have a thing um, about that too because there, there was that, that was there was a deleted scene that was not included in that final episode at all. And I definitely will say that as good as the dynamic of the building is between this episode and the next episode, the final episode is kind of where they drop the ball because they them leaving out this one crucial scene on top of the fact that it's another one of those infamous scenes where it's like, okay, so the deleted scene wasn't actually that good. So was the storyline really that strong to begin with? And then kind of just making the last reveal just a gotcha moment. I don't know. It, it kind of d- takes a lot of the air out. But I- I'll wait until that final episode to reveal yeah, what yeah, that scene was. We'll but... talk to it. Like, you know, if we focus on what happens in this episode, it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game. Uh, you know, Arya seems to have the upper hand, but it turns out that Lord Baelish uh, is creeping in the corner. Right. Um, you know, I very quite, clearly deliberately yeah. wanted her to find that note, which it's like that shot of him. Like, I'm like, could you make it more obvious? Him literally coming out of the shadows, right where the light hits half his face. That's like, yeah, we no, get it's, it, it's dude. like, <laughs> it's really stylized. Uh, the evil grin on his face is perfect. You know, it, it's like, it's well played. Um, so, you know, they're setting up this dynamic. We, we understand what, what's happening. Um, that Lord Baelish is going to try to play the two sisters against each other. Um, you know, obviously we have the ability, you know, we have uh, hindsight at this point because this is like our third, fourth time through the series. Um, but, you know, ultimately, um, you know, like a lot of the storylines, uh, you know, in, in the late seasons, it's kind of like, oh, I kind of like this. I kind of like this. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of don't yeah. anymore. Anyway, so <laughs> so it, it's 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 you know it's one of those things where the you have to kind of accept it late in the show that um, the good news is whenever they do wrap the storyline, it's kind of like usually a, a quick segue into something else. Um, right. So nothing lingers too much. So even if the storyline is not exactly what you wanted, um, you're moving on to the next storylines, and you know it, it's like. Um, so the pace, it, it keeps going. And, you know, even if you get a little bit of a letdown here and there, uh, more or less, like, you know, the show is still pretty solid. Right. I agree with that 100%. So then moving on to the next of the kind of ancillary storylines we have in this episode, The Citadel. This is actually, ironically enough, it, we, we spent, it feels like we spent so much time here in the first three episodes, but this is actually the last that we end up seeing of The Citadel in the rest of the entirety rest of the show because Sam kind of finally realizes that he's fed up and just with everything going on. But what's so interesting is that you would think that the one biggest re- catalyst for him uh, leaving is not even mentioned, where you have this, I, I think, a really interesting thing. So what, one thing that we left out of Winterfell is there's a brief scene with Bran where Bran um, connects with the Weir Tree and sends the Ravens out to kind of see how close the White Walkers are getting to the wall, and he realizes that they're, they're getting pretty close. And uh, once again, it shows that, wow, even though Bran is still the Three-Eyed Raven, he still hasn't learned anything at all because, once again, the Ravens get too close, and the Night King just looks up and they scatter instantly. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's what happens when you get too close, you know? So he still hasn't learned his lesson there, but... He has to like send letters out to everyone immediately. You know, the letter reaches John on Dragonstone, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and the letter reaches the Citadel. And what's interesting is that the Maesters so this is the confirmation of everything that Sam has been saying since he got to the Citadel, where he's been trying to warn them about the Army of the Dead. They've given off this myriad of reasons as to why they haven't said anything to the rest of Westeros. They've they've basically gone on to do something that's like, okay, the wall will keep them out. And he's like, okay, that's fine and all. But this is basic confirmation, like from Bran himself that it's like yeah we don't know if the wall is going to be enough to keep them out there's a lot of them 
you know, and he saw them. And now Bran is, and now Sam essentially has the double task of essentially having to explain how a teenage kid is now the epitome of all sorcery and knowledge in the world, and how he himself was the one who helped brings bring Bran through the wall way back when. And the Maester's reaction to this, rather than heeding Sam's word to send out letters to the rest of Westeros to go north and reinforce Winterfell on the wall against the White Walkers is, oh, this could also easily be a ploy for Daenerys, for, for us to leave Westeros defenseless in that in case Daenerys wants to invade. And I get where they're coming from because they also <laughs> have the knowledge that Daenerys just burned um, Randall and Dickon Tarly information that they knowingly kept from Sam, which I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But it's like, what? Like, it's one of the one of the things where it's like I feel like we're juggling too many hoops here, you know? Like, there, 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 yeah, there's, it, a, there's a string loose here somewhere, you know, and it's causing going to cause the whole thing to unravel. No, I, I think you know the the Citadel is not going to necessarily jump at Bran's message. Like, Bran um, has sight beyond sight, right? You know, right. Uh, we all know how good of a job he does when it comes to explaining that to people. Yeah, but no one, no one really knows this, you know. And, and it's like, you know, okay, so maybe. Littlefinger has the sense and Arya and Sansa and anybody that kind of met him at Winterfell can kind of see the, you know, um, sort of like just shape he's in, you know, the fact that he's talking like a robot, you know, the, 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 uh, but no one, you know, uh, is going to read a Raven message and, and completely believe that he is seeing visions, uh, that they should take seriously. So, uh, the fact is like the Citadel has all these books they have all this knowledge uh they're not seeing the warning signs that they need to see um and sam you know is is upset because it's like his expectation going to the citadel was that there's all this information that you would just be working around the clock non-stop trying to track down exactly what the solution is to get rid of the white walkers uh and that's not what happened you know it's like it's life as usual the they need the you know uh chamber pots clean they need the uh you know uh, right. uh b you know beef stew made you know it's like they just need life to continue the way that it's been going at the citadel uh and, and they're not necessarily too concerned with the outside world um and i think it's a that mentality that sam really doesn't understand really can't get right. on board with um, and leads him to make his decision. You know, action. Well, it, well it's a big Brand thing. said it. This has to be taken care of. So right. you know what? Sam is now uh, gonna stop. You know, uh, just cleaning dishes, and he's gonna go do something. Well, it's a big difference, obviously, to the life that he was using. He came from the wall, where it was literally life or death every single minute that he was there, and he now kind of comes to this area, even though it's in the place where he grew up. He's been away from there for so long that he kind of has forgotten that, like, yeah, down in the south, which is kind of so far removed from a lot of the harshness that he was exposed to on a daily basis. You know, they're kind of more content with just maintaining the status quo and making sure that that happens. You know, kind of again, I I think it does a really good kind of what old Game of Thrones did really, really well, which was really breaking down kind of the disparities that come with the more elite versus kind of, you know, the, the regular working class. But if, if anything, again, Brand's, uh, Sam's kind of frustration, I should say, that comes from 
the maester's refusal to heed his word causes him to overlook a very major important detail that kind of comes out of nowhere and it's all of a big problem with kind of how he just kind of takes credit for it later on when it was obviously gilly that found it where gilly who's helping him transcribe these scrolls who he's taught to read and who is proving very very adept as well ends up stumbling upon the exact passage that confirms not only obviously we knew obviously that john was rhaegar and liana's um son obviously that was confirmed in the end of season six and we didn't think there would be anything more to that but come to find out there is because Gilly ends up stumbling upon a passage from a maester basically dictating an annulment, which is basically the Westerosi term for divorce, that Rhaegar and Elia Martell had an official split, It was so, which confirms that Jon was not, and his relationship with Lyanna was not anything out of wedlock. They were officially married by a Septon, which makes Jon not only obviously not just another bastard, but officially the heir to the throne since he is Rhaegar's legitimate son. And how this piece of information is treated throughout the rest of the show, we'll get to that when we get to it. But I I, I do think it's kind of hilarious how it, this is one very, very crucial bit of information that is just kind of like thrown in there for just shits and giggles and just overlooked. And then it's just revealed, oh yeah, just happened to find this out at the end. Yeah. You know? well, I think the best part is like, uh, if I remember correctly, Sam and Bran have a scene and Bran's like, you gotta tell him, or should I? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm pretty like, sure that happened. I, I, I don't remember. Um, it's the wording is exactly that. No, but I'm no, pretty sure that but happened. it's that kind of mentality where no, Bran. You're 100 percent right. You're 100 yeah, percent right. I can't wait for that sequence because oh, it's, it, gonna it's, be so it's, it's, it's gonna be so it's, good. It's gonna be so good. It's part of Bran's like you know uh, essence right now. He's, right. He's kind of this like guy that creeps around. And he tells people, or rather, wheels you know, around creepily. I should yeah, say, yeah, yeah. But <laughs> he tells them the future, and it's kind of like off-putting at every turn. Uh, you know, and in the, in the case with Sam, it's kind of like, well, you gotta, you gotta, you know, step up and give your friend good advice. Um, but for Littlefinger, for Jamie, like things that Bran says to them, it's it's kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure, absolutely, especially yeah. since they are. I'll say that they're obviously older and have not had nearly as much experience with magic and this sort of stuff as I feel like some of the other characters who have more so. I've, you know, I, I think it kind of tells Sansa as well. I feel like you could throw in there as well when he kind of just throws out the, you know, the bit about seeing her on her wedding night. And you were so pretty in that dress. And I'm like, oh my God. stop, yeah. stop, just stop talking. Anyways, but yeah, so that's it for the ancillary story. So let's get back to the meat and potatoes. Sir, kicking off on Dragon Zone, like I said, where we pretty much bounce back and forth between Dragon Zone and King's Landing uh, before we kind of wrap up the episode of Eastwatch. So you have John walking out as you got, obviously, this beautiful vista shot of Daenerys flying up at the dragon. The dragon lands right there. It's, again, they're really trying to hammer home the, like, oh, yeah, John is a Targaryen. This, I feel this is that episode where that really started when the dragon comes up super, super close to him and he's able to pet it. Obviously, the the, the, the thing that's explained off screen is the fact that the reason why the dragon didn't eat him is because the re it's the reason why Targaryens were able to bond with dragons back in the day. I'm assuming they're, this is something else that they're going to get more so into House, in House of the Dragon as well is that the thing that allows... Dra Targaryens and dragons to bond is the fact that the dragons can smell their blood. And so the thing is, the reason as to why Drogon lets Jon pet him is because he smells that he is a Targaryen. So that's supposed to be more subtle cluing us into the fact that it's like, oh, get it? Jon's a Targaryen. And obviously Daenerys gets off the dragon. You know, they, they start to have more of a conversation, you know, continuing to bond. It feels like they're going somewhere with this uh, as far as like kind of, you know, them weighing out like kind of the, 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 oh my God, um, what's it called? The, uh, the consequences that come with ruling, for lack of a better word, when uh, Jorah walks up, he's back. They, he's magically gotten back again. Just the, the conveniences of timing here are just 
amazing too, you know, as, as far as what, just the amount of just like, wow, characters just happening to be in the right place at the right time here. It is just working so well for them. But it's, well, it's, it's you it's, know, in, in another lifetime, Jorah is, is Batman. So you know, that's true. He's, that's he's true. Well, in, in another universe, we should say he is Batman. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You know, if, if you watch the, uh, what is it? The Titans, the Titans uh, DC yeah. show, right? Uh, uh, you know, our actor that plays Jorah, you know, uh, plays Bruce Wayne. So, yes. um, which I was very surprised, you know, that that's one of his post Game of Thrones roles. Right. I was like, what I heard, he's pretty good on it, too. Yeah, I, I think he's, uh, you know, listen, I, I think he is one of the better uh, Batmans. You know, it's 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 fun to watch that that show. You know, it's it's obviously like a, a couple cameos, so it's not like a, a, a major right. role. Um, but I think he does a, a pretty good job playing like a, a fractured Batman. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, any, anytime that you see, uh, actors that kind of, um, you know, uh, were really big in this show kind of move on to, to other properties or movies or whatever. Uh, it, it's always cool to, to see them for sure. Um, but know, the big thing that's being get, set up getting here, good yeah. roles after yeah. this in their career. Oh yeah. Well, the big thing that's being set up by this scene, and this scene is kind of the kickoff of a few scenes that happened throughout the rest of this episode is that we're clearly setting up for what I call the, uh, the fellowship of the snow is what I call where the next episode we get like, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's this, it's this like combo, like fellowship of the ring slash Avengers getting together where it's like, we're putting all kind of all the characters that are like, we're like are going to form this snow aside squad for lack of a better word. That's going to go North of the yeah. wall in order to carry out this fool's errand. And this is the start of it where John and Jorah, again, they've got some shared history, obviously with John, you know, working with um, Jorah's obviously, you know, with serving under Gior Mormont, you know, continuing with the thing that was set up by Sam Hill him at the beginning of the season then they move to the uh what's it called then you have a brief scene with Tyrion and Varys where they're comparing and they're like oh you know um what's it called uh Varys is like oh she's getting a little bit out of control you need to convince her that you know she's do better and all that again just more like hey dig at the fact that they're like okay Varys is eventually gonna go against her blah 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 and the big thing next we have the courtrooms the, the not the courtroom scene the, the meeting scene where John reads the letter and they officially decide to come up with the plan to go north of the wall and i think that probably the most baffling thing about this plan is that it's not john's idea to do this it's Tyrion's. Tyrion is the one where it's like john is like i don't think that cersei's gonna come north to see the dead at my invitation and Tyrion's like so bring the dead to her and the first thing that should have been out of anyone's mouth here is how the hell are we gonna go north and get one soldier like i mean obviously that is said to a certain extent but i feel like what they should have been saying is okay these things come in packs. There's groups of them. You don't just stumble upon one random dead soldier. You'll stumble upon maybe a solo white walker, maybe. Again, if, if, if going based off of what we've seen in the past, they need to go based off of. But the likelihood oh, yeah, of but that was, was that was when Craster was handing out the babies. Right, exactly. Uh, but they've never know, them, once so. they've never once run into just one undead soldier. There's always been at least like going all the way back to season one. Well, you know, when he's referencing, obviously, them bringing the, the undead men that they found north of the wall and then bringing them into the wall to examining them and them coming to life and attacking them and killing them and almost killing them. Um, there was still two of them. Like, they've never run into more than one at a time. So the likelihood of them surviving this mission is already slim to none as it is, where it's like just weighing the, like, a, the probability of it. It's like, okay, so say that we do this. Say that we go north of the wall. Say that we, you know, it's like, well, the likelihood of us running into one undead soldier, but nobody brings us up. And I'm like, okay, you would think that John, the dude who's been talking all season about having seen the Army of the Dead, he doesn't bring this up at all, you know? Everyone else is just kind of like, oh, what a brilliant idea. Why didn't we think of this? And it's like the fact that 
nobody else is questioning this. And the, then the fact that Jara so readily volunteers, it's like, and then by that, I feel like it's Jara readily volunteering. That's when John is like, okay, I kind of have to do this now because I'm, the, this, this doofus on himself is not going to survive north of the wall. Like, we got to do something. That's when he's like, okay, well, we could probably get the wildlings to help us because, you know, they'll, they'll follow me and all that. And that's when Davos and da Daenerys are voicing their opposition. He's like, I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, I don't know, man. But at this point, it's like, all right, the plans have been set. I guess we're going to do this. Okay, this is a thing that's going to happen. And they're like, okay, well, we also would need... And, and she's like, okay, so the purpose of this is we're going to bring it to the summit. We're going to show the dead soldier to Cersei. And Daenerys is like, okay, well, that isn't going to help if Cersei doesn't stand down. And that, of course, leads to, okay, well, I might be able to get Jamie to get her to, you know, hear us out, you know. And, and so that leads to, obviously, Davos smuggling Tyrion into King's Landing. And so this leads to two major developments. One, obviously, Tyrion meeting with Jamie, which, again, despite the kind of loopholes in logic that we're kind of leapfrogging through, I think the scene with Tyrion and Jamie is good. It's not great, but I'll say it's good. You know, these two haven't seen each other in quite a while. I do think it's kind of conspicuous. Where it's like, wow, Bronn was so easily able to bring Jamie down, and then they have their first interactions, and there's no, like, kind of thing well, that comes I, from it. Know, there, there's, like, no, there's no real build up for the, you know, right. this meeting it kind of um, comes out of nowhere yeah and we're, and we're sort of used to you know uh something like this having a couple scenes leading up to the moment where obviously braun kind of leads jamie in but uh you know they they just skip right to the action uh we have to take it on faith all this stuff happened um you know i i don't you know again like um, you're not getting uh, a lot of the setup necessarily. You're just getting thrown right into the sequence. Right. Uh, but it, it does what exactly what it has to. Like you got to sell this storyline of them grabbing the you know uh, soldier of the dead and showing Cersei. So the fact is, like this scene has to take place because otherwise, how are they going to you know be able to display this zombie? Um, you know, you're gonna have to have some sort of meeting to be able to do this and brokering it is the only way to do it. Right. And so they broker the meeting, obviously it, it's the, they, they're kind of really only just trading off barbs with one another. And then it kind of results in, okay, Tyrion gets his piece to, to Jamie. Jamie's able to get it back to Cersei. And so there's two things here, obviously first, when kind of when Jamie meets with Cersei first, before this whole meeting goes down and he kind of reveals to her, obviously, you know, kind of what Olana told him that it's like, yeah, that, that, um, that, uh, What's it called? That she killed, that she poisoned Joffrey, not Tyrion. And so now Cersei has that confirmation. It's like, okay, wow. So Tyrion, who uh, she was hell-bent on finding and having killed for Joffrey's murder not even a couple seasons ago, now has this confirmation. It's like, Cersei's looking for somebody to be mad at in this scenario. And if, like, if I was well, Jamie, I would be she, like... She has the right to be mad at Jamie because Jamie's the one that convinced her to let Olena die for a sure, for peaceful sure. death. So the, the fact is, you get that sense that Cersei is like... You know, I could have had, um, you know, a, a Doran level revenge uh, against Elena um, and really punished her. Uh, but you took that away from me. So there, there is definitely in this sequence um, a huge amount of tension between the two of them because Cersei, you know, somehow believes that Jamie is more into Tyrion than he is uh, into her. Uh, in in terms of like willing to to team up and and like trust them and and whatnot, so um, this could be paranoia on Cersei's part, or this could be um, you know uh, just her reading the 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 situation properly. Um, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where uh, Jamie's got to make a choice coming up soon.
for sure. And like I said, it's kind of, I think, counterbalanced later on when she sleeps with him. And then, obviously, you know, the, the servant sees them together. And then he brings her Tyrion's message. And, of course, she already knows because she knows everything. Because Kyburn is way better, clearly way more effective than Barris ever was in that position of just knowing everything. And... Um, what's it called? So obviously the point that she brought to Jamie before this whole thing was, okay, well, our choices are either, are either, um, die surrendering or die fighting. I think I know what I'm going to choose. And the thing that she says is she's like, okay, I want to make one thing clear here. The only reason why I'm not having you killed for treason is because this meeting with Tyrion is actually advantageous to us because regardless of what their intentions are, that still buys us a little bit more time, both in order to stave off a full-scale invasion of King's Landing, which even she somewhat admits that they're not ready for, and B, because it will also give us more time to prepare if they do have anything planned. So it's Jamie. Jamie's decision to meet with Tyrion obviously was both advantageous and not because it prolonged his life a little bit more. But I don't know. Like I just feel like these constant threats from Cersei, especially since we know that they don't end up going anywhere. She literally has them at sword point, at all, uh, has her has him at the mountain sword point in the finale. And then when she sends, has Kyburn send Bronn north, that does nothing. And then he ends up coming back to save her at the end. It's like, we all know that it's like, yeah, it's empty threats. We kind of know that like nothing's going to happen. So it's one of those things that's kind of weird in hindsight. I don't really know how I feel about the constant threats overall. It's like hmm. where she is constantly again, questioning Jamie and putting him under fire. And it's like, he's the only ally you have right now. You know, like there's literally no one else. It's like, you're on Greyjoy, like that Joker, like, come on. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of disappeared, but uh, yeah, he just kind of went off. Like, where is he? he he'll be back at some point. But, right. Uh, the main, the main kind of, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, what what is it? It's just like, it's not a main storyline, but it's it's kind of like a nice comic. Oh, the Gendry thing. Almost. Yeah, it's Gendry, well, right? You well, know, well, real it, quick, I, I thought there's something else really hilarious that I just realized is that oh, I'm like, so wait. Are the, since we know that Euron's still in King's Landing, that means that the Iron Fleet have to be circling King's Landing, right? So how how I'm like, damn, Davos is a really good smuggler that he's just able to get them in that that close to the city and just completely dodge Euron's fleet entirely. Well, but, you know, the, he made a career on that, and that's, that's why true. he's known so, as the Onion. I, I just so. thought it was funny, but uh, and I, th then I think you have to, you know, um, you have to assume that Davos is just that good. Right. Um, building yeah. to the the myth of his character, but yeah, for sure. uh, yeah, the I would say thing, that Gendry, he's back. Yeah, it, it's it's like Davos obviously has his some business of his own, and he goes to the blacksmith shop and he finds Gendry, who's back at his old place. Um, and you know, Gendry is just kind of slipped in; no one's looking for him, and he's just you know doing his own thing. But like, as soon as Davos shows up, um, he's like, "I'm he's ready re to go." He, yeah, he's ready to go, and and. It's like, you'll need a sword. And it's like, I don't know anything about swinging a sword, but I know about this hammer. Um, <laughs> and so he, he's, you know, it's basically um, <laughs> Gendry gets an upgrade. He's just swinging a hammer around. And he's bald um, now, too. And like yeah, a couple of just taller and jacked. Like he's like, yeah, I was like, wow, he's a man right there. It's like, it's somebody, know, I feel like this whole episode is just like, it, it's like if one of those like wrestling pre shows where they have like all of like the different wrestlers meeting before they're about to go on stage. And I feel like that's what we're getting here. Where it's like, oh, John meets Jura. Up, oh, Davos is bringing in Gendry. Up, oh, they're about to meet with Tormund later on. And up, oh, here come these guys. It's like, oh man. Like it, it's literally yeah, like, I feel like it's like faces like. One movies one through five of the the Marvel Cinematic Universe all put into one movie, you know. Yeah, I think Marvel or like the Fellowship of the Rings. I, I think it's more like that. Uh, you know, um, you know, they're just right. sort of 
coming together to do a common goal. But uh, I, I think Gendry is someone I did not expect to be back in the show. Right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, he's still a bastard of Robert and has, you know, some small claim to the throne and his storyline never really got perfectly resolved. Um, not quite. So, it kind of, so it makes sense that he's back and right. that they're going to kind of utilize him for one last uh, push uh, right. and make sure that that storyline gets resolved. So, right. um, you know, it, it's like a really great moment. Uh, it totally makes sense that Davos is the one that kind of right. finds him. And uh, because Davos probably feels bad, right. uh, feels bad what uh, Melisandre and Stannis did to him. So, you know, this is his way of being like, Hey, listen, I can't change the past, but uh, I can at least give you purpose. And, you know, Gendry is all for it. And, and now they just have one more fighter on their side. Um, that's going to head up to the wall. It's interesting because obviously it's one another one of the things where in the benefit of hindsight, with the benefit of hindsight, I feel like Gendry is one of many characters where it's like, did he really need to come back? But I, again, it, it's it's a totally, especially given Betty Off and Weiss' track record of just dropping storylines off that just were at one point we thought were going to be important. But it's a nice, it's a good fan service moment. It works out like yeah. like you said, it was like, kind of unresolved. I, I, I per- I personally, fans have been speculating, theorizing. They didn't even been making jokes for years. It's like, oh, Gendry's still rowing. All that, all the memes that were coming out. And then Davos, <laughs> yeah, to the point where Davos even makes a joke about it. It's like, oh, I thought you'd still be rowing, you know? But um, I, I just never thought that he would be back. And so, you know, I, I think they bring him back and they, you know, they just kind of like give him a new attitude. You know, right. I, I got this hammer. I'm going to bash these gold Every cloaks time. heads in. Uh, he's not putting up with any BS, and, and I, so I'm still I'm still so mad whenever somebody introduces a giant hammer like that, and they and or they're associated with it, and, and they don't utilize the catchphrase "hammer time." It's just it's it's a crying shame, I think. But the yeah. uh, what's it called? Big thing. Davos obviously gets it back. They are yeah. able to <laughs> first bribe. I'm sorry. The gold I'm sorry. I'm just picturing like Gendry saying "hammer time." Come on, cut, come on! Cut, like cuts it cuts the credits, and MC Hammer comes on. Exactly. Know, exactly. You know, <laughs> perfect it's perfect but so first they have to bribe two gold cloaks with uh, shrimp viagra i i guess is what exactly they're doing before gendry is like screw all this it just kills them both and it's just hilarious well it's it's basically gendry and davos are trying to smuggle out the gold cloaks know what they're doing and you know it's it's like oh is 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 the price for a bribe still five pesos or whatever it is yeah five five i forgot what the money is yeah I, i just threw in there the uh uh, you know, but, um, well, I've been watching too much better call Saul lately, huh? Yeah, I think so. But, uh, the <laughs> fact is, um, y- listen, the price has gone up. I-, I like all the, the authentic talk, you know, it's, it's like th- for, they take the time out to really make you feel that like Davos is a smuggler, uh, you know, and that these are some flea bottom like characters, uh, that are just bribing the guard. And then here comes strolling in Tyrion, who kind of messes up the whole right. scheme. Uh, and they're and like, wait a minute, weren't we supposed to be catching a dwarf a couple of years ago? And I'm like, it's once again, just like, how much time has actually passed in between the seasons? It's been a question that's been consistently befuddling me since season one, where it's like, I feel like it wasn't that long ago that they were looking for Tyrion and like trying to like b- bring every dwarf's head on uh, to, to, to Cersei on a spike, but whatever. They managed to get back to Dragonstone. John meets Gendry for the first time. I think they actually have a pretty good banter back and forth where it's like, you know, our fathers knew each other. Our fathers fought together. 
I, I think that's like a, a pretty interesting, you know, we're both bastards in some sense, you know, that can actually like get on the same page. I think they have some good camaraderie there. They get ready to ship off. Tyrion has a nice closing moment with Gendry where he gives him the coin. Uh, that the slavers originally gave to them. He's, I love the thing where he's like, I miss you more, but nobody quite glowers like you, you know? <laughs> and he gives him the coin in order to ship them off. John gives uh, Daenerys one final farewell where it's like, well, at least you won't have to deal with the king in the north anymore. Um, if, uh, what's it called? You know, if, if we don't make it. And she's like, I've grown rather used to them. They ship off, they head north, they meet with Tormund. Tormund's reaction once they reach each watch is just priceless in general where he first he talks to Davos and he's like I thought it was your job to talk about his stupid ideas and he's like I've been failing at that of late and he's like um and, and he has John he's like how many queens are there now and he's like two and he's like and you need to convince the one with the dragons or the one that has sex with her brother and he's like both this Torment's reaction is just beautiful and that's, that's where he's just kind of the audience avatar just trying to figure out the logistics of like okay we're you're actually gonna go through this we're we're actually gonna do this we're gonna take a squad we're going to go north of the wall, and we're going to capture a solo dead man. Like, that's actually happening. And he's like, yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, and I really like, um, you know, the, the whole moment where they go into the prison. and Yeah, they and he's like, you're they not have... the only ones. And it's like, oh, but we got three more that are going to join. Yeah, you know, and then there's the Hound. Um, Varek, and, Thoros, which I want to yeah, know what yeah. happened to the rest of the guys that were in the Brotherhood that were with them because there were a couple other guys that were with them in that first episode, and now it's just these three? Like, what happened Listen, to the rest of those guys? I, I think there was Sam and Frodo. They're looking for the, <laughs> the play, <laughs> you know, to throw the ring in. Um, you know, it's two separate missions, you know? Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But look, so they have some banners, some back and forth. They all know each other. They've all had interactions with the past. Gendry, obviously, he brings up the shit with the Brotherhood that they did with him in the past. Jorah knows Thoros because they fought together on Pike. Um, Tormund realizes that Jorah is Jorah Mormont's son. And Beric is like, oh, wow, look at all of us. Here we all are. Same time, same place. Going to the same room. And, and the Hound is just like, shut the fuck up. Like, I'm done sick and tired. That was one of the funniest inserts where he's like, just giving another, like, spiel sermon. And the Hound's like, just shut up. Are we coming with you or not? And then they finally realize, like, John's like, well, yeah, we are all on the same side. You know, we're all breeding. It's a, it's a little bit of a flimsy excuse. But, like, that ending shot where it's just the seven of them all standing in that one pose, and then they all walk out in the V formation. I'm like, this is so spectacularly stupid. It's incredible. I'm like, the Fellowship of the Snow, <laughs> the Snow Side Squad, um, Game of Thrones Avengers, like, all of the above. I'm just like, and as they're walking literally into the unknown as they fade off as the snow well, envelops I, I them. I think it's, like, it's, it's one of those things where it's the great, uh, coming together of right. you know like fan favorite characters. Right. It always works. Um, it is inherently satisfying, but like yeah. I don't know. I feel like there's just so much else behind it that kind of ruins it in hindsight. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. You know, it it, it kind of leaves us off for a good episode. Uh, we know that this group is going to be facing the Night King. Um, so you know that's what we have to look forward to. You know, it, it's like. W you know, I can't wait for next week's episode of Talking Thrones because uh, sure. I'm, I'm going to fire up that episode. I'm going to see it again and, uh, you know, just enjoy it, you know, just enjoy it. Because it's it's not exactly a great moment for, um, right. you know, John and Daenerys and company. Yeah, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of a big kind of a big loss. Again, they, they ultimately achieve their goal, but to what cost? Exactly. Yeah. Beyond the wall. That, that's going to be that's going to be one that since we started this uh this recap series i've been waiting to recap since minute one because again it's one of those ones where it, there's so much great stuff in it but again certain of the plot mechanics where it's like 
how how did this happen? But like I said, that's for that's a conversation for next week's. In the meantime, that was it. That was a recap of season seven, episode five, East Watch. A lot of stuff that happened, but again, we meant we managed to crunch all that out in still under an hour. Man, we if that doesn't show what efficient podcasters you are, then I don't know what does. But Pat, where can the good people follow you on the in the interwebs? Hey, listen, at this point, uh, Instagram at Patrick W. Huber, uh, that's my handle, you know, just uh, I'm posting things willy nilly whenever I feel like it. So just find what I have there. All right. Sounds good. And of course, you can follow me at Movie Nerd Reviews across all platforms. Be sure to follow the official talking TV podcast across all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok all of the above. Be sure to subscribe to us if you're watching us on YouTube. Be sure to follow us on Twitch. New episodes of Talking Thrones are uploaded every single Friday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And as always, people, 12 seasons in a short film and watch more fucking movies. See you guys next time.